Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we continue our series, Explore God. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right. Good morning, community. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. I like it. I like it. Um, I'll tell you, here's, here's what I want to start. I want to start with kind of truth and lies. All right. Think about this truth, truth and lies. And I think when it comes to truth and lies, there's probably a continuum that we all fall on. Um, either where on the one hand, we're kind of gullible. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we're a little more skeptical. And I'm just curious, quite a quick show of hands on self-analysis. How many of you would say, you know what, on a continuum like that, I'm probably, I'm probably more gullible. I'm pretty trusting. I'm pretty quick to believe. How many of you go like, yeah, probably a little more on that side of it. Okay, very good. How many of you go like, no, I, got, I want evidence, I want facts, I, you got to prove it to me. I am skeptical. Wow, very pronounced skeptical there. Okay, <laughs> okay, very good. Okay, now as I was thinking about this whole notion of kind of gullible and skeptical, those who tend to quickly believe or those who are like kind of reluctant to believe, the first thing that came to mind was Jimmy Fallon's game Box of Lies. Have you got, how many of you have seen Box, Box of Lies? All right, you've seen this? It's a, he plays this game, he has celebrity guests come in like you know, Chris Pratt or Cardi B or Alec Baldwin, and they play it. And um, I thought maybe this morning, just to kind of get us into the big idea, we play Box of Lies. How about it? All right, we got 15 people who are excited about that. Okay, that's good. We're going to do it anyway. All right, uh, here's how this is going to work. As you may have noticed, we have three different boxes up here. Three different boxes, and the way it works is this. You're going to get to pick one of the boxes. And inside, inside the box is an object that the, the creative arts team has, they've placed it in there. I am, instead of having, I don't think, is Cardi B here? Okay, since Cardi B couldn't make it, we're going to do it together. Um, so I am going to describe what's in the box, and here's the catch. You have to determine, am I telling you the truth, or am I lying? All right, I'm going to describe what's in the box, you're not going to get to see it, and I'm going to describe it, and you have to say, oh, is he telling the truth, or is he lying? Make sense? Okay, so I'll tell you, which box do we want? Do we want, we'll start over here, box number one. Okay, I guess, def- okay, we got one person. Um, how about box number two? <laughs> I, I love that you care. Um, box number three. Ooh, that was close. Box number two. Box number three. I think the threes have it. All right, here we go. Box number three. Let's see what's in here. Okay. Hold on. You guys, you're, you're cheating. Look at that. <laughs> All right. Here we go. I'm going to describe. And you're, um, this, is a, um, this is a game. I think a game. Maybe it's, it's a game that maybe some of us played on car trips. Um. And, it, 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 and it's about, um, you put hair on like a face, and, um, and uh, yeah, you, you, use some, you use a magnet to do this, and um, it's called, it has a very funny name, but what's really weird is the, is the face in the middle of it. Um, okay, how many of you go like, he is absolutely lying? How many of you say he's lying? Like, so right here, sir, you are calling the pastor a liar. 
before God and everybody on Sunday morning. All right, how many, sorry, couldn't resist. It was too easy. How many of you are going like, no, I think he's telling the truth. I think he's telling the truth. Look at all those believers. Look at that. All right, well, yeah, here it is. I actually was telling the truth. There it is. It is a woolly willy. And I don't know how they did, my, my picture's in there. Do anybody remember these? Didn't they play these in games like car trips or something? You kind of drag the face, drag the hair around and put a beard and mustache. So there it is. All right. So that's just a silly game. Okay. But I thought that would get us kind of started thinking about, okay, about truth and lies, truth and lies, truth and lies. Um, and here's what I hope. Whether you are more gullible or you kind of like, no, I'm, I'm skeptical. You got to prove this stuff to me. I am hard to convince. Um, over the next kind of like 30 minutes, here's what I hope. I hope there are some truths that you discover. I hope there's some truths you discover, and I also hope there's some lies that you uncover. Truths you discover and some lies that you uncover. And we're in a series, and John mentioned this, and this has been a, just been a great series. I, mean, I thought it was going to be good. This has turned out even better than I thought. And we're doing this series, which is kind of cool in and of itself, with about a thousand other churches across Chicagoland. Kind of neat. We're all doing this together, and it's called Explore God. And we've identified together kind of the seven most prominent questions that people ask about faith, and about God, and about spirituality. And, and here's our desire in this series. Our desire isn't so much for kind of you to show up and us to kind of convince you that, hey, here's the place of all knowledge. You come here, we'll download it into you, and then you can walk away smarter. But instead, what we really want to do with each of these questions is we want to explore these questions together. I really want you to kind of enter into this. Maybe for some of us, like this is the first time we've wrestled with this, or maybe it's the first time again we're going to wrestle with this question, and we're going to explore it together. Now, today's question is a question that I think on the surface you might kind of go like, well, that's kind of a familiar question for church. But I, would, I want to push back. I would ask you to, to re-examine this question as if it's for the first time for some of you. And for others of you, it may be the very first time you really wrestle with this. Because I think this is one of the fundamental core questions that any intellectual, any thinking person has to ask. And here's the question we're going to deal with today, and it's this. Is Jesus really God? When you think about just the, the incredible impact that this person Jesus has had on human history, there's, just, there's really no way that if, you're, if you consider yourself any kind of an intellectual, that you can't grapple with this question. And let's kind of get into it. Here, here, here's the thing that's fascinating to me about, about, about this topic. Um, research shows that most people, most people believe in the historical Jesus. Most people believe in a historical... When I say a historical Jesus, I mean a Jesus who actually uh, walked and talked, eat and breathed right here on planet Earth. All right? I'll tell you, any, any guesses? Um, I'll, throw, I'll throw out a few. The percentage of Americans that say, no, there was a, such a person as a historical Jesus. How many of you go like, oh yeah, I would say 60% of Americans, 60% of Americans buy into that, that there was a historical Jesus. Yeah? How about, anybody want to go farther north? 70%. Yeah? How about 90%? Anybody, anybody would dare say 90% of Americans? Okay, a few more. Here, here's the thing, 92%. Okay, 92% of Americans, according to the Barna Research Group, say that as far as a historical Jesus, a Jesus who was, who lived, okay, here on planet Earth, 92% buy into it. And by the way, and I think we can kind of jump to this, no serious historian, and I'm not saying this as, as, as a pastor or even someone who studied theology, I'm just saying this from a historical point of view. I'm from a historical point of view. No serious historian 
disputes that Jesus existed and lived. Are you with me on that? Everybody kind of buys into that. But here's the thing when I make a point. Now, while an overwhelming majority of people say that a man named Jesus lived in the first century, okay, the idea that Jesus was actually God, okay, that's a whole other story. You see the difference? It's a significant leap from believing that a man named Jesus walked on planet Earth to that man who walked on planet Earth was actually God in the flesh. And that's what the question we're asking. Is Jesus really God? And what I want us to do is I want all of us to start kind of with what we seem to have as a common ground, as Americans anyway. And the common ground was, is that there was a historical Jesus. There was someone who lived on earth 30-some years who was named Jesus. And what I want us to start with is by asking, what did this Jesus actually say about himself? What did he say about himself? So how do you think Jesus might have finished this statement? I am awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Maybe. Because he wasn't silent. He wasn't silent on this subject. In fact, one of the clearest examples of this is found in the writings of a friend of his and also a follower, a guy by the name of John. John writes about Jesus walking in the temple courts, and he is he's surrounded by these Jewish religious leaders who all are prodding him with loaded questions. And at one point, they just kind of, they ask him this. They say, how long will you keep us in suspense, Jesus? If you are the Messiah, the one God sent to save us, just tell us plainly. Just tell us right now, if that's who you are. Now, at first brush, at first glance, you might be thinking, oh, well, this is Jesus in the temple with fellow Jewish countrymen that, you know, he's kind of like in church with other church folks and church leaders. It's probably a friendly crowd, right? No. To be clear, this, this was not a friendly stroll. He'd he just as well been swimming with piranhas. Because <laughs> what's going on here is these religious leaders are asking him questions trying to trick him. Trick him into looking crazy or trick him into saying something blasphemous. Like, I am God. And so Jesus responds to this question. Here's what he says. He says this. I did tell you, but you do not believe in fact, the works I do in my Father's name, they testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them, what's it say right here? Eternal life. eternal life. Okay, this is a hint of where we're headed on this. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand and my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Okay, he knows their intent. Their intent is to kind of to catch him saying something that they could construe as either crazy or blasphemous. But he refuses to lie. Jesus shoots straight. He tells the truth. And did you catch what he said here at the very end? What did he say here at the very end? I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. This is important, okay? This historical Jesus that we've all bought into, we said, yes, did exist. This is the first time. This is the first time he actually claims Okay, that him and the Father, that him and God are one. And this is a bombshell. And we know this is a bombshell. It's a big deal because look what happens next here. As soon as Jesus utters those words, his adversaries, <clears throat> they pick up stones and they're ready to kill him. Because this is clearly regarded as blasphemous because what Jesus is saying in that moment, he's, he's really, he's saying this. He's saying, I am, 
Ready for this? God. Says it right there in front of Jewish, the religious leaders in the synagogue. I am God. Now, he said that, this historical Jesus. So we're going to have to wrestle with this, right? We've got to wrestle with this. Now, believing that a person who walked this planet, just like we do, is fully God, <laughs> don't let it be so familiar, that's no small pill to kind of swallow. I get that. Jesus definitely knew that. And so in order for them to kind of swallow it, he came with evidence, evidence that he was more than just a man, more than just a person like us. In fact, he did wonders and there were miracles. I've been reading through the Gospels this week, and by my count, there are at least 40, 40 different times that Jesus does miracles. And when he does those miracles, it's not just like his own observation. There are eyewitnesses to him doing these miracles, like healing the sick, like giving sight to the blind, like making the lame to walk. 40 of those. But then there's one, there's one miracle that kind of outweighs them all. And I want you to think about it this way. Um, There are a few things I think more amazing um, and kind of remarkable, particularly in the sports world, than calling your own shot. Okay, calling your own shot. I don't know if anybody recognizes this. This, uh, one of the things that sets Babe Ruth historically apart is kind of this legendary hero of sports was in 1932, right here in Wrigley Field. It was during the World Series. He comes to the plate. There's kind of a backstory in this, but we won't get into all that. 1932, he comes to the plate at Wrigley Field. They're playing the Cubs in the World Series, and he points to center field. He points to center field. Basically, he, he's like, he's saying, he's calling it. He points to center field. A fastball comes his direction, probably somewhere between 90 and 100 miles per hour, and he hits the ball 500 feet over the fence. It's a home run to exactly the point that he pointed to. And it was like he, in that moment, he said, I am the babe, (laughs) and I will hit that next pitch over the fence. Let's go back to Jesus. It's like Jesus backs up his claim, I am God, and then says, okay, here's, here's what he says, I will... And this I will, hang on to this. This I will, before we go there, this is what sets him apart from every other person who ever lived. This I will is also what distinguishes Christianity from every other set of religious beliefs that have ever existed. Uh, Puts it alone. Because what he says is I will, look at this, rise. I will rise from the dead. Let me tell you about that. When he called his own shot. Um, Jesus had just, he, he, maybe you remember this in the Gospel of John, he had driven out people out of the temple because they were trying to kind of use the temple just to make money. They were just making money on this thing. And he, he said, no, we're not going to have that. He drove them out of the temple. He was angry about it. There's a big scene. Some of the Jewish leaders, again, who weren't happy about what just happened, get very upset. And they ask Jesus, hey, what authority do you have to drive someone out of the temple? And here's what he comes back with them. He says this. Let's go to the next one. He says, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. They're confused. What? He says, they, they said, no, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? And then, then John adds his own commentary, because he knows what's going on. He says, but the temple Jesus was speaking of was his body. Was his body. 
Now see, to give you kind of the full understanding, the temple wasn't actually completed at that point, but it had been under construction for 46 years up to that point in time. And now Jesus is saying, I could rebuild it in three days. But John adds this parenthetical note where he says, no, he wasn't really talking about the physical temple. What he's talking about is the temple of Jesus' own body. Look at this. What does he say? Let's highlight that there. But the temple he spoke of was his own body. And what Jesus was doing is he was foretelling, he's saying, listen, I am God and I will, like he's calling the shot, I will rise. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and then he pulled it off. I will rise, and then he did. How do we know if he did or not? There's just, again, hear this all. If, this is, if you've been in church for a while, hear this all is brand new. Think about this, okay? There's overwhelming evidence where you have, you have four different distinct historical accounts of the resurrection by eyewitnesses. You got Matthew, who wrote one of his biographies, a tax collector, who was an eyewitness to Jesus rising from the dead, and he believed it to be true. You got Mark, who also wrote a biography, who got his information from a guy named Peter, who was an eyewitness. They both bought into this resurrection as being true. Then you got Luke, who's both a doctor, well-educated, and a historian, recognized as such. He also was an eyewitness and believed the resurrection to be true. You got John, who we've already looked at. He was an eyewitness. He believed the resurrection to be true. Then you have the whole thing with Paul, okay, who has this dramatic conversion. We won't go into that, but look at this. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he explains this. Hey, Jesus appeared to more than how many? Help me out. How many? 500. Paul's saying, no, by, by count, there's more than 500 people with their own eyes saw Jesus after he was supposed to be dead, that now he was back to life. And if all of that still isn't convincing enough, <laughs> Think about this, just the shift in the velocity of this movement called Christianity because before Jesus died, okay, they were, they were, high, and, and resurrected, they were hiding in terror because they thought they were coming after them next. After he dies and comes back to life, all of a sudden this little group, now suddenly they're risking their lives and they're boldly proclaiming, no, Jesus came back to life. They're telling everybody. And it didn't just stop with them, this handful of folks. It went from them over the next three centuries, think about this the next three centuries, to over six million people. Six million people. This Jesus who said, again, historical Jesus, we all believe that to be true, said, I am what? God. And then he said, I will what? Rise. That's what he said. And you know what, I think, I think there's something inside all of us that's also evidence that there has to be more. They're almost like there's something inside of all of us that's evidence of the resurrection, that we long for life, and that endings, endings, endings in themselves just don't fit us. Um, th- this, this example will, will date me a little bit. Um, how many of you remember the, the, uh, the old sitcom uh, Cheers? Cheers? Yeah? Okay. So Cheers. This goes back to the early 90s, right? Early 90s. And I remember, I remember watching Cheers. Love Cheers. Great show. And the final episode was happening. The final episode of Cheers. 84 million people are all watching the final episode. I think it's like 1993. Sam Malone, who had been this washed up relief pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, who had opened up this bar in Boston called Cheers, 
He's having his last conversation. Remember Norm with Norm, right? I think that went, right? John Wentz, guy from Chicago. Had the last conversation with, with Norm. Norm leaves, and then there's Sam, who turns out the lights, and he walks out the bar. He walks out of cheers. And it's over. I was, like, depressed for, like, weeks. Because <laughs> remember, like, okay, 93, like, there's no Netflix, there's no Hulu, there's no Amazon Prime, there's no YouTube TV. I mean, like, right now, like, if I want to go watch, you know, West Wing or something, yeah. I, I mean, literally, I could go over there, grab my phone right now and pull it up. I could watch an episode of West None of that. It was over, right? And it's going like, oh, this isn't right. <laughs> there's something about, I think, endings that just don't fit us. And I, th- I, I think every one of us here, we, we've lost, okay? We've lost loved ones. We've lost loved ones. And it was like, there was more we wanted to say. There was more we wanted to do. There's just like, there was more we wanted to experience with them. I mean, has anybody here ever been to a funeral and go like, yeah, that feels about right. I like that. Uh-huh. No. Right? Am I right? There's something inside of us that even if someone lives a full life, it's, it's just not right. And, and here's what it is. Ecclesiastes, I think 3.11 explains it, says this. God has planted eternity in every one of our hearts. We have the evidence of the resurrection of the gospels. We got those 500 people. We, got it. we see this movement of Christianity. And that movement of Christianity, it wasn't about Jesus being a, a good teacher or a moral leader. No, it was all of them were going, you know what, that inflection point when all of a sudden there were 6 million people that bought into this thing? Why did that happen? They were all saying, this guy died and came back to life. And then there's evidence, I think, inside of all of us. And the only person who can truly answer that longing is the, is the person who said, I am, <laughs> and I will, and then he did. And I want, I, I mean, really, I would love, explore this, do the work right now on this one. Philosopher, theologian, priest, Thomas Aquinas, Okay, I'm going to put something on the screen. I'd encourage you to get your phone. Take a picture of this. Ponder this. Okay, take a picture of this. Ponder it. If you want to post it and create, this would actually be a healthy Facebook conversation. Um, Look at what he says here. He says, if the incarnation, let me, a little quiz here. What's the incarnation? I don't want to use big words and not understand what we're talking about. Incarnation is the idea of God becoming a person, right? What's the Incarnation. God becoming a person. That's really the fundamental of the question we're asking. Is Jesus really God, right? That's what he's saying. If Jesus really becoming God, if that did not really happen, if we don't buy that that happened, this is so smart. Let's check this out. Then, because <laughs> you've got to believe something. You can't just believe nothing. You're going to believe one way or the other. Then, if you don't believe that, then an even more unbelievable miracle happened. Let's go there. And that is this, that the conversion of the world, because now we're talking about not just six million, we're talking about billions of people who are followers of Jesus. He says, then an even more unbelievable miracle happened, and that is this, the conversion of the world by the biggest lie in history (laughs) and the moral transformation. Now he gets personal. The moral transformation of individual lives into unselfishness and a detachment from worldly pleasures and radical new heights of holiness by something that is merely a myth. By something that's merely a lie. That did all that. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Explore this question. We know he lived, walked, talked on planet Earth. Here's the question. Is Jesus really God? What do you think? Is Jesus really God? 
I, I'm telling you, I, I, think, I think because of just the, the influence that he's so profoundly had in all of human history, you cannot consider yourself really a thinking person or intellectual person if you haven't wrestled with this and come to a conclusion about it. You've got to come to a conclusion about it. It was about this time last year that uh, Liza was struggling with some tough life circumstances. And uh, it led her to the same question. And I want you to hear her story. My name is Liza Venomo. I have a teenage son named Mariano, and I've been attending community for about two and a half years. It was only when things were not going so well that I would reach out and, and talk to God, but, but God was not part of my everyday life. I've always felt like I was in this life alone. There was no one to help me. There was no one saying, you know what, I got this with you. Don't worry about it. For the last 10 years, I've worked for the city of Chicago in a department that has been under major scrutiny. I feel like every day walking in there, I feel like I'm, I'm walking into the lion's den. Oftentimes I would have to take a minute to sort of pull myself together and work up the courage and the energy to go in and deal with what I had to deal with and face what I had to face. It's exhausting. You know, being angry is exhausting. Being so tightly wound and on edge is exhausting. And I would get into my car and go home. Thank goodness I had like a hour commute, 45 minutes to an hour commute to get home because I could sort of cry it all out. Um, but there were times when that wasn't enough. I would have to go in my room and close the door and finish crying and pull myself together again because I'm not done. You know, there's this, this great kid that needs me to be his mom and needs me to be strong and he doesn't need to know that that's going on. When things started to get really difficult, when life started to sort of get real, I started to look into spirituality and I had researched a bunch of different religions, just sort of collecting information and seeing what, what other religions were teaching and believe. But I would drive past community and I would see the sign out there and I'd go, yeah, you know, I, I'm these days I'm gonna check that out I'm gonna see what that's about and I did and I was scared to go in just because I didn't know what to expect I knew I had found a home it felt warm and welcoming and it was just it was inclusive and it was it felt like a place of love and celebration and that's what I was looking for Sundays became my favorite day of the week nothing had changed it at work you know it was still all the same but man if I could start that that week in that way feeling good and feeling joyful it was a great tone to set to sort of take on that week ahead I interact with people who I now do refer to as my church family you know I know that they're there to support me and encourage me and celebrate with me got baptized at Montrose Beach last summer, which was, I mean, that experience in itself was incredible. I felt renewed. I felt washed. I felt clean. I've come to sort of really make the connection. Jesus is God, and everything that he did and was and said is what God wants for us. When I found my way back to God, I found peace. For me, it felt like, you know, the ceiling was low, it was dark, and it was heavy. And to have God in my life every day is freedom from all of it.
All right, so we said together we're going to explore these questions, right? So let's just do a little check-in. Right here, right now, 1159, on this day, where are you with this question? Is Jesus really God? Where are you with that question? Is Jesus really God? C.S. Lewis, uh, for some of you that name's a familiar name, for others maybe it's a new name, but he, he was one of the, one of the great intellectuals um, by anybody's standard of, of the 20th century. He's a guy who gave his Chronicles of Narnia. He was an Oxford scholar. Um, we can go on and on. <clears throat> but early in, in his own pursuit of these kind of questions, um, he was convinced there was no God. In fact, so convinced there was no God that he wanted to be the person who would set out and prove there was no God. And so in his effort to set out and prove there was no God, he did have enough intellectual integrity to know that he couldn't prove there was no God without asking this question, that this was a fundamental question. And it was this question that wrecked him. Because as he asked this question with true intellectual integrity, trying to pursue the truth, he came to this conclusion that, well, there's only three possible answers, is Jesus really God? And that was based on this historical Jesus and what he said and what he claimed to have done, either he was a liar, right? He said he was God and he wasn't. He said he was going to rise from the dead and he didn't. He's a liar. Or he's a lunatic. He claimed to be these things. He claimed to be these things. And everybody knows he didn't. He's a crazy man. Or, thirdly, he was Lord. Liar, lunatic, and Lord. And he wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this. And he said, as he tried to uncover or discover truths and uncover lies, he wrestled and said, those are the only three options for us. And I love how he puts this. And here's another, you ought to take a picture of this too. Wrestle with this one. Here's what he says. You, he's talking to any of us that, are, that really want to think through these, these heady issues. He says, you have to make a choice. To not make a choice is an option, okay? Either this man was and is the son of God or else he was a madman or maybe something far worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And I think this next part's so smart because here's where we sometimes detour and it's not a detour that you can take if you're really pursuing intellectual integrity. He says, but let us not come with any kind of patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. That's not what he claimed to be. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. And then C.S. Lewis, he gives us his own conclusion. He says this, now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor was he a fiend, a liar. And consequently, however strange it might feel to you right now, or however terrifying or even unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and Jesus is God. And so I think it's, just, it's, just, it's, it's good for us from time to time to just go, okay, where are you right now with, with, with this question here, Okay. With the question. Let me see the question. Who do you say I am? Because see, Jesus would from time to time ask his friends, like he asked Peter, who do you say I am? Who do you say he is? Peter, who got to be with him, spend time with him, observed him. Here's what Peter responded. He said this. He said, you're the Messiah. You're the one God sent to save us. You're the son of the living God. 
And I'll tell you, here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I think, I think it'll be, and this may not be where you are tomorrow, but it is, where are you right now on this? On this question, is Jesus really God? And if you would, based on even the things we've said, the topic, the way we've explored today, if you're going like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm with Peter, yeah. He's not a liar, he's not a lunatic, he's Lord. Would you just, just raise your hand and go like, yeah, that's where I am today. That's where I am today. You're gonna put your hand down. One of the things that was all, have always been true of people who have said, okay, Jesus is God, and think about this. When you say Jesus is God, that gives him tremendous authority, right? That may be even an understatement, right? If he's God, then he kind of gets to be in charge, right? <laughs> you don't get, it's kind of like you don't get to be in charge anymore, right? It's like, no, okay, if he's God, then he's... And people who recognize him as God, historically... By his own example, there's two things that they would consistently do to kind of remind themselves, okay, he's God, not me. He's God, not me. He's God, not some other thing that I'm going to make up like a good teacher, a good moral person. One is they were always baptized, just like we saw Eliza do. We're going to do baptisms on uh, two weeks from today, February 24th. If you want to be baptized, you, you raise your hand, you've never been baptized, I can't encourage you strong enough. That will be a marker event in your life that you'll look back and draw strength on. And... Uh, if you want, you can take your, your program. Uh, John will give you a little more instructions on this, but you can fill this out. There's a place where you can check the box. It says, yeah, hey, February 24th or 25th, I want to be baptized. You can put it in the bucket and do that. And it's passed later on. You can take it back out to the welcome, uh, the welcome table. They'll, uh, they'll give you more instructions of how you can be baptized. But the other thing that they did, so they were baptized. The other thing they always did is they would come together as a community of people who'd raise their hands and say, yep, he's God. I'm all in on this. And they'd have what they called the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, or communion together. Because it was like kind of this regular reminder. said, yeah, I don't know any other option. I don't know any other hope. He is God. And so in a moment, the ushers are going to come, and they're going to pass out the bread. The bread is a reminder of Jesus' body, okay, that was broken for us, but then came back to life. Then they're going to pass out the cups too, and the cups are the, are the blood, represent the blood that was spilled. <laughs> but then miraculously, as he called his own shot, he comes back to life to conquer death. And so we're going to ask that as that gets passed and distributed for every one of you that said, "Yeah, he's God." We'd love for you to join us in declaring his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Go ahead and just hold on to that cup, hold on to that bread, hold on to those things. And after we sing this song, John will come back up here, and we're going to take this together as a church family. All right? I'm going to pray, and then I'll ask the ushers to come forward. Father God, we want to say thank you that you're a God who didn't just kind of create this universe, send it spinning off into darkness, but instead you're a God who created this world, everything in it, and then wanted to have a relationship with us, so much so that you showed up personally in Jesus. Showed us how to live and gave us hope for eternity. And so, Lord, right now, we celebrate that. We acknowledge you as God in this moment of communion as we take the bread and we take the cup. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.